Welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm Sheena and today we're chatting to Lena. Lena's talking all about revision, what makes it special and how she does hers. She has great tips coming up. Stay tuned for that and more. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and rate it. I'm Lena Vilnov. It's a pen name that I put together and I've been writing for maybe two years now, reading lesbian fiction for many, many years. But my wife and I maybe three, four years ago started writing because we had twins and all we ever talked about was parenting and teaching. We're both teachers and it was starting to get stagnant and uh, we were taking a walk to school one day and talking about some plot line of a book that both of us were kind of off on and she said, you know, you could write, you could write a book and it would be fun. And so we started brainstorming and that's why we did the pen name the way that we did. We picked it together and we brainstormed and we talk about the ideas and then I write them down and Bella Books liked them, I think 2013 and we had a book out in 2014 and now we've got three out. So you write together. We brainstorm together and I do the writing. Okay. So when we talk about revising, one of the, she's my first critic always, I'll write a chapter and then she'll read through the chapter. The first notes that she always gives me is more description and more emotion, which you think after somebody had told you 50 times, 100 times, 300 times, more emotion, more description, that you just do it automatically, but I never do. I can understand that, though, because when you're writing, you're in the moment, you're feeling it, you don't necessarily feel the need to put it all down on paper because it starts to feel like too much. And gets distracting from where you're going. Yes, but I agree with your wife. (laughs) (laughs) You need it eventually. So oftentimes I'll plow ahead and just leave her notes there. Yes, I need more emotion. Yes, I need more description, but I want to make forward progress. But uh, sometimes I'll go back depending on her feedback, I'll mess with a chapter that she's just given me feedback on before I go forward. And so usually I highlight that then and say, have I made this any better? And we do several passes at it before the whole draft is done. That seems like a really tedious process. A lot of people talk about revision as tedious, but it's one of my favorite parts. Why is that? I think that the thing is that when you're writing, there's this idea of what you're creating, what's in your head, and then audience. And we get so little feedback from audience that to have somebody saying, this is what I like that you've written, and this is what I want more of, it's very satisfying to me to know that somebody has read it and cared that much about it. Like, even I see the reviews that I get on Amazon and reviews that people emailed me, I see them, even if they're critical, as somebody's read my stuff and they cared about it and I want to go back and do what some people say is tedious to make it better to make it cleaner to make it more concise do you use beta readers at all I have been um I each book is really different as far as beta readers and I've I've kind of cultivated more of a more of a group that I can call on especially after going to GCLS last year in New Orleans But early on, I was just having my wife read my stuff and a colleague at school who people laughed at me for using because he's a straight guy. And I had him read my book. And as far as I know, he's never read a lesbian romance ever in his life. And he gave it back to me. He said, you can write a story. That, That was enjoyable. It has no plot. But 
it was, <laughs> and I said, well, wait a minute. I, I want it to be good. You know, I want it to have a good plot. And he gave me a lot of feedback on what I should do to make it better. And I took that first book and I dismantled it on his feedback and pulling it back together felt like wrestling something alive and, and trying to like shove it back into what I thought it was as a book. And then I gave that to my wife and she said, well, this isn't a romance anymore. It's an action adventure. I didn't think that that's what we were writing. And so then I had to go through a third time and figure out how to put in all of that emotion that made it a romance. And that product is what Bella took. Is that the first book that you published? Right, that's Take Only Pictures. I must read that. <laughs> so the thing that I tell my students, because I'm an English teacher and I teach revision, and oftentimes a student will say, hey, I want to revise this essay for a better grade. I say, okay, I've got this program that we run at school called Turnitin.com, so I know that they're writing their own stuff. And they'll have turned in the original. We go through, I tell them all the things that they can do to make the draft better, and they revise it. And when I put it through, I can see how much they've changed. It gives me a percentage of what matches the original document. And I have students who give me something that's 98% the same. They've changed the grammatical stuff that I asked them to change, but they've done none of the content stuff. And I tell them, I recently put through an early version, the first version of Take Only Pictures, and what I thought was the last version, but I'm really bad with dates, so it's near the end. When I got the report back, it was 28% the same, which means that 70% of the material was newly generated, that I cut huge parts and I added huge sections to the work. And one of them was that when we were talking about plot, my friend and I, he said, you know what would make your book really good? You really need a rabid bear because one of my protagonists is a bear expert. She's a wildlife biologist. And I said, there's no such thing as a rabid bear. No, 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 no. He says, I Googled it. And there are a couple of cases of bears getting rabies. And that's really what your book needs. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Now I know exactly how my students feel when I'm telling them, this is what your essay needs. And they say, well, that's going to take a lot of work. And I, for a long time, I thought that my colleague was crazy. I, I was working on different things. But I came to see that he was absolutely right about what my book needed, and it was a major, major overhaul. What's your first piece of advice then for authors in terms of, of this whole process? Like, where do they start? I think part of it is, like you said, having beta readers. And the friend who gave me advice on that first book hasn't read any of my other stuff as a beta reader. I get people on content that... I am working with in my second book, The Right Thing Easy. One of my characters was Mormon, and I have a cousin who's Mormon, and she and I collaborated a lot on what struggles my character would be going through and how she would respond to things. And so I would shoot her things saying, I just wrote this church scene. Did I get it right? She has more experience in that capacity, so she's a great reader there. The great thing about working at a college is that you have all these experts, all these area experts. So we've got this auto tech program and I contacted one of my colleagues there and said, I, I have this mechanic. And the first thing that he told me is she's not a mechanic. She's an auto tech. Don't call her a mechanic. And that's the kind of information that for me, you know, I'm an English teacher. What do I know? Um, but I work that kind of detail in and then I can shoot him a scene and say, okay, so I have her working on one of my characters came in with a battery that keeps draining 
And he said, well, it's probably a parasitic drain. I have no idea what a parasitic drain is, so I write the scene based on what we've talked about, and I shoot it to him, and he says, well, this, this kind of works, this doesn't. And, and I get that kind of content uh, revision from that expert. But in my third book, I had a friend who was helping me because her family is a military family, and one of my characters has a, is a retired Coast Guard. In the scope of the book, I don't get the kind of feedback that I get from the editors that I get from Bella. The idea that is the, is the overarching plot working? Or is my character development moving? They can help me with those little details, but I'm, I find that you don't really get from a beta reader. I've had a hard time finding somebody who can give me the same critical eye as the editor that I have from Bella. Do you think that's just a case of finding the right base readers, or do you think that's think just part is. of the editing process? I think there there are a lot of different things that you get from your beta readers, and one of the Bella authors just sent out a message saying that she was finished with the draft and she's looking for beta readers, and she was almost finished drawing up her questions for the beta readers, and I thought, wow, that I've never considered drawing up a list of things. I usually just give a draft to somebody and I might say I'm worried about I I'm worried about my description or whatever tends to be my weak spot but I don't draw up a formal list of questions maybe that's something that would help me in terms of getting the feedback that I want earlier in the process from beta readers but I've broached this topic um, have you ever participated in the um, the Facebook group the that does the writer's block mm-hmm it's a it's an online discussion. They'll, they'll host one author, and everybody comes on at the same time to ask this one author questions. And my standard question is, how much do you revise? How much does your draft change? And what kind of feedback do you get from your beta readers? And overwhelmingly, I have people. I, I get the sense that people don't see revision like I do. That they see beta reading as helping you clean up a draft, but to make a huge change, like, I don't think that this character is growing the way that she should. And from conversations that I've had on the writer's block in the, in the discussion and the threads, a couple of people have reached out to me and said, well, I'll read your stuff because that's the way that I want my stuff read. And I feel like I've been getting better critical advice from those peers. And that's what I see in my workplace. And I think it's why I have kind of a different framework on revision, that when I see students working together, they are very much like, I think a lot of the beta reading experience is kind of that enthusiastic, this is good, I like this kind yeah. of feedback. But as an English teacher, I'm saying, yeah, but you know, you could make this draft better by asking each other questions and looking at the structure of the essay and how are your paragraphs flowing? And uh, I, I want to get down to those kinds of details that my students are very reticent to get into. And I feel like that's kind of, what I run into when I'm talking to other writers. I want to hear that I'm doing a good job. I want to hear where I've engaged you, or I guess it's helpful to hear if people have lost you, but I don't get the sense that um, some of the writers that I've engaged with on that writer's block view drafting the same way as I do, and that kind of revision idea. Absolutely not. If it takes an author, you know, three years to write a book and then somebody comes along and says to them hey you know actually I don't like your character's growth you're gonna have to do a major overhaul that that person's probably gonna come and smack you but that's where we got to kill a mockingbird and that's why I did the talk 
a couple weeks ago because I was talking to this woman who is a part of the California Writers Association. And I said something about um, Mockingbird. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, do you know that the one that just came out, the Ghost at a Watchman, was the original draft that she gave, that Harper Lee gave her publisher. And the publisher said, this is interesting, but it's it doesn't have the right movement. It feels like a collection of snapshots. And what's really interesting is the scout character. And if you took the scout character, you know, if we saw more of her youth, the book could really be good. And she worked on it for two years. And then the new text was To Kill a Mockingbird. So do you see draft one as just work in progress? Absolutely. How long does it take you to do draft one? That really depends on whether I'm teaching or not. The first draft of Take Only Pictures, I think we started working on it around Christmas. It took me almost a full year, I think, to get that first draft of Take Only Pictures. But I have maybe one or two hours a week that I can devote to writing. And that was revising too. So I lied. Probably the draft that I gave my colleague was in the summertime. So what's that, six months, seven months to get a full draft? And then I was really, really playing with it. Okay. But then you have to be super prepared as an author to really dig into your work. Yes. What other tips do you think are important in terms of revision? I want for a story, I've been playing with this idea of it being more than the hookup. And um, in the, the fourth one that I'm working on right now, I was playing with a lot of symbolism in, in the auto tech and the sense that one of my characters had to leave her childhood home. And then there are all these little things that come back to her. And one of my beta readers said that there's this idea of a lock without a key that comes up. And she said, you could work that in so much earlier. And in a, in a scene in, that's early in that book, I had had the character chopping tomatoes and she said, you know, instead of having her chop tomatoes, she'd be playing with a lock. And that's a kind of a subconscious thing about whether she's, she herself is unlocked or not. And so then I get to take that idea of locks and being unlocked or, or locked and see where I can thread it through the novel. And the other character, she said, one of the things about that character is that she wants to fix things. She doesn't just fix cars. She wants to fix people. She wants to fix relationships. So where can you thread that through? And then that becomes the puzzle that I love so much. I've got the the core of the storyline moving forward. But then you can take these little pieces that I think kind of are organic to a story and go through and say, this became something important that can be threaded through. But then you know it's hard because you've got a scene where you like the pacing. And now I want to get this information in. But how am I going to get this information in without it sounding totally dorky or interrupting the flow of what's been happening between the characters. Does that make any sense? It does. So where do you draw the line then? When do you say, okay, you know what, this is enough revision, I'm done, I'm happy with my book? Oh, it's really hard to find that line because after the core stuff, and I got really good ideas from my beta readers that I dealt from the con last year. I, I had three of my fellow authors read it, and my mom started saying, you know, that sounds like too many books in the kitchen. You need to just follow your intuition for the book. She was one of them, too. My mom had read it for me and given me advice. And she said, at some point, you know, you need to just let it go. I let Take Only Pictures go, and the other two, too, I let go much more quickly. And I think that the editing process for those three has me looking at new drafts much more critically. In the final stages of Take Only Pictures, 
I was going through and looking for that word repetition, uh, head nodding, going back to the, you're in the writing moment and you forget that you want to avoid certain words and phrases. Needs is one of mine that comes up a lot. Just, why do I say just so much? And even if I tell myself, don't use just, I, I can go through. I think that one of my beta readers pointed out this fourth one, and I think there were 230 some uses of just in the novel. And I shot her an email after weeks and weeks and weeks of playing with it and said, I got it down to 30. And it, it took a long time to sort through and what, where can I replace it with something else? But then that's tricky because when you replace it with something else, how many of those do you have? So you open up this new thing. That's a game that I didn't play with Take Only Pictures until the last drafts that we were working toward the, the proofs and the editing. But I'm doing it much earlier in the process now, I think because I have those tools. I, I know how, how much there is that has to be worked on. So I hope that this fourth one that I've sent to Bella now, I hope that it is something that is cleaner. But in the back of my head, I have that tickle saying, oh, my editor is going to find plenty for me to keep working on. I think that's just the writer's journey. Yes. And to know that as, as perfect as you think you can make it, there's always going to be something else that you can do to make it better. So when do you stop? I stopped on the one that I'm working on right now. I had told Bella that I would get it to them in February. And so it was that deadline that I said, that's when I, I had a draft ready two months before that. But I used that February promise to say, well, that's as clean as I can make it right now. And one of the things I love, Karen Comaker mentioned once that once a book is found, you're always going to find problems with it, whether they're grammatical or whether they're, oh, I could have done something better with the story. But she said that she got the advice to always see that book as the best book that you could have written that at that time. And that has helped me to not be so critical of what's in book form and to say, yes, that was that was what I could do at that point. And I hope that the next one will be better. Okay, so, so far we've got get experts to help. Speak to your wife and let her read your <laughs> <laughs> your first draft. Um, always speak to the wife. Always speak to the wife. Yes. Very important. In fact, that should be, you know, tip number one. Yes. Well, you know, um, for those of us who are lucky enough to have wives who read lesbian romance or whatever genre you write, I know that there are partners out there who say that's not the genre that I read, and um, that's okay. No, it's not okay. No. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't work for me, but um, it has to work for some people. Okay. So get good beta readers get good sources of information, work through the edits, editing process with a lot of people. I invite a lot of people. And okay. I that it is hard because sometimes you do get conflicting advice. Uh, a lot of people didn't like one of the characters in this book that I'm working on right now because she's homophobic, but she also flirts with one of my female protagonists. And I had several people saying, no, you can't have somebody who's homophobic also being flirty. And it's for some reason, for me and another couple of my readers, that offers a character complexity. It makes her a round character, right? Absolutely. But 
it's a hard balance. And then I wonder, well, am I getting another reader to be able to just get people on my side? Or am I hearing other conversations of why it works or doesn't work as a character? I think one of the things that I like, though, about having all these different readers is that they push me in different ways. That early in my writing career, my Bella editor, Kath Walker, was saying, you need to think about diversity in your book, having characters of different ethnicities and that richness that can come from culture. And in my fourth book, one of my beta readers had said, the ex-girlfriend is African-American. And she said, it makes me really uncomfortable that she's seen in a negative light. And I didn't know how to I didn't know how to work with that. It's not something that I was making racial. The things that didn't work between the two women had a lot to do with the ex's confidence level. And another one of my readers said, you know, the way to work that is in a in a one of those last scenes, you can have her sticking up for the new girlfriend. She can be that voice to say, you know, everybody lay off, give her some space. And then that gives her, A, it makes her a rounder character. And B, it gives her that humanness that she is missing otherwise. And it's only one little scene, you know, it's not even more than a page, but that kind of advice, I didn't see it. I didn't see that that's something that I could do to make it better. And I was talking to one of the other readers that I had and she said, oh, that's perfect. It makes, it makes everything come together in a, in a different way. So having that variety of voices, then you have them all laying there on the table is that right are they lying on the table I, I just said that um, they're <laughs> they're all they're all on the table uh-huh. and you get to pick which ones work with the text and here's a here's one of my big pieces of advice is to I never saved drafts like my wife does she's a, a research scientist and at one point she said you know these word files are tiny compared to the reports that she writes with all of her images and everything she said, the files that you work with are tiny. Every time you do a draft, you should save it as a new draft, which was a totally different idea to me. But what she was pointing out in, in the scheme of my brain with revision is that if I start making drastic changes and I don't like where they go, the beauty of word processing is that I can go back to earlier drafts and say, I actually like the way that the scene worked the first way I wrote it before I went through and tinkered and tinkered and tinkered. I also, for every single book, have a folder marked things I might want to keep where I copied, I I cut it from the original document and I pasted it into that other one. And I don't want to throw it away permanently. It's there. I might use it some other, it, it might come back or it might just be safe there in the trash, but I won't empty that trash. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It does. So you spend about half your time writing and about half your time revising. I think so. And you reckon this makes your books significantly better? It it works for what I write. It The end product so far has made me happy. One of my teachers in grad school was Jim Dodge, and he had a very different idea about the writing process. And he said that he didn't write things down until they were perfect in his head. And that once he had a draft, he was happy with his draft, but he sat for a long time and thought, and thought, and thought, and thought. I think the difference for me is that I think on paper and that I am mm. willing to type and get things on the screen and see how they work. And because I'm thinking as I go, 
I'm willing to say, well, how can we shape it now? And I think that goes more in terms of, do you know Anne Lamont? She's a, she's another California writer. Mm-hmm. And she talks about her book, Rosie, which is her best-selling book, and how she had spent nearly all the advance and gave her draft to her editor and got a letter back saying, I'm really sorry, but this just doesn't work. You know, and like you're talking about, you spent two years. She had spent two years working on the draft of Rosie. And he said, I'm really sorry, it doesn't work. And she tore it apart, put it back together and said, this, this is what I'm going to do. And he said, okay, do it. She had a new draft and he said, it still doesn't work. So she's put all this enormous energy into the writing and the rewriting and keeps hearing that it's not working. But she pulled it together. She pitched it to him out loud and he said, that's the book I want. And she did another major overhaul on it and it became her bestseller. So you're saying this contributes to a good story. I think that for writers who work that way, and she talks about, I got that story from Bird by Bird, and she talks about in Bird by Bird allowing yourself to write a shitty first draft. I don't want to call my draft, my first one, a shitty first draft because I've worked hard on it. I would say that I have a draft that I'm happy, but I know that it's a draft. It's about changing your whole mentality to writing. If you one of those, okay, I sweated blood to get this first draft out. And when people look at that first draft and they challenge you and say, I don't think that pieces are working, do you see that as somebody criticizing you? Or do you see that as somebody saying, this story could be better? Because when my colleague said, you have no plot, in some ways, I take things really personally. But for some bizarre reason, when I look at my book, I am able to see that people are saying, this is, we're talking about story here. We're not talking about you personally. I'm not criticizing you as a person saying you're worthless for not having plot. I'm saying, I think if you worked harder on this, it could be better. And there's this thing that I use in my classes a lot called Brainology. It's from a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And she talks about how if you praise somebody for their intelligence, it creates a fixed mindset. And if you praise them for their effort, it creates a growth mindset. So when you face a challenge or or a setback, if you're a fixed mindset, you take it personally. You say, oh, I I knew I could never do this. And you back away from the challenge and you say, I'm not going to do this. Your growth mindset, you say, okay, so what do I do to either learn from my mistake or what do I do to make it better? So it's totally that mindset. Okay. So when revising What are like the top three things that authors need to be doing today? Being open. I think being open to ideas and not feeling threatened by them. Mm -hmm. I, as a writer, I think is enormously helpful because everybody is so different and everybody has different skills. I just saw a post about writing the best settings and that might be my weakness. Uh, I attended a workshop at the con on writing good dialogue. I feel like dialogue is my strength. So to be able to read other people's work and say, here's where I think you could write snappier dialogue, you know, that's something that you can be open to hearing about other people's strengths and then trying to incorporate them. That's one. I think another one is being open to playing with those ideas, going back to the idea of saving multiple drafts or having a folder of things that you've dumped. I think that seeing writing as a craft is important. So not just being open to the ideas, but open to the time. You keep on talking about the time that we invest and the blood and tears and everything to coming up with a draft. I think that people can be open to the idea of playing 
and knowing that any decision that you make, you can go back to what you had saved before. And that when you explore things in the advice that you've gotten, you might find that you have a treasure that you didn't know that you were capable of and it makes a better story. Mm. So that's two things. I think that those are two things that I would like to see people think about in how they approach their writing. And that comes from a writing teacher when I look at my students and how I want them to see writing. I want them to be excited about how they can grow as writers. I would like to think that in the writing community, we're all growing as writers each draft. Absolutely. Especially in the lesbic community, which is a relatively new space. I mean, I know it's been around for, for yonks, but it is a relatively new space and it's a, it's a growing space. And I think that there isn't, I don't know, I'm such a new voice in the community that I don't want to be critical of anyone. You've got three books under your belt though, right? <laughs> That's not that new, hey? That's good stuff. It's good stuff. That's why I get to talk to you in South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to be critical. I, I hear so many people when I talk about revision. I have been one of the beta readers I was excited to pick up is Blaine Cooper. I've read several of her books. And when we left the con, she left with my Write Thing Easy, the second book. And when she said I read it, and if you want more than I enjoyed it, I, I thought it was a good story, just let me know. And I said, I am open to all feedback. So she sent me pages and pages of this is what I thought you did well. And these are some of the things that I think could have used something more. And when I wrote back to her and I was so excited about her ideas and thinking about how I could apply them to the next book, she said, it's so interesting talking to you because people aren't usually this receptive mm. to feedback. And I, I wish people were more receptive. And But I'm not saying that I have the right way of looking at writing, but when I talk to writers, I want to feel like when I say, this is what I really enjoyed about your book, we all want to hear that. But when I, as a reader, say, and I think this would have been really cool, I'd love to sit with another writer and talk about the craft of it. But I often feel like when I offer that to writers, you have to be really careful because some people will say, oh, mm. uh, yeah, I don't want to play this game anymore because now you're being critical. It's true. It's, not, it's, it's absolutely so it, true. It's a very tough balance. And I've been really fortunate to work with writers who, when I get excited about, what if you tried this? That they say, oh, um, that's an interesting twist. And it may not end up in their final book, but it it's something that I had fun, a fun conversation that I had with another writer. And that's what I'd like to, I'd like to have that kind of conversation more and not feel so worried about, I don't know how, how this feedback is going to be perceived. Because I do just see it like that, feedback. And, and Blaine Cooper always says, different things appeal to different people. So it could just be that I'm not quite in that audience that you're targeting. And that's fair. There are all sorts of different books that appeal to all sorts of different readers. Absolutely. So you kept on asking me when I know whether something's done or not, how I know that it's really done. And I talked a lot about that deadline, that February deadline for the last book and how I would have kept fiddling on it. But I didn't talk about the earlier books and how once I got them off to Bella, there's that period of time where you work with your editor. And I think that an editor is such, such, such a good thing after all of your beta readers and loved ones have read it. 
there's something about that outside perspective from the editor. And there were a couple things about Kath Walker that I wanted to say that from the very start when I worked with her, she asked questions that went into all the deep revisions that we worked on together with all three of the books we've been paired up together. And from the very beginning with Take Only Pictures, one of the best questions she said was, you've got this character who is wanting to be a professional photographer and she never takes any pictures. So that was one of those hard revision ideas for me that going through the book, I have this book all plotted out and where can I pause and work in that she's taking pictures of her scenery or her colleagues and keep the storyline moving forward. So that was a really challenging bit to work in throughout the book but then going back to the other thing that you were saying does all this revision pay off I think that it made it a much much better novel that too in that first book I had um, this question and it came up in a couple other books too from both beta readers and from Kath my editor of why is this happening why is this character drawn to the mother who abandoned her the mother that she didn't grow up with what what's the draw for her I don't understand why she would even want to spend time with her she's an awful person or in the first book why has Christine not told anybody in all the years that she hasn't been back to the lodge why did she keep that a secret and my initial answer is well I need it to move the plot forward but that question if that question sits in a reader's head then I have the potential of losing them so answering those questions, once you get those questions answered through the text in your revisions, it's so satisfying when the reader sees a revision of it and says, yes, exactly. I remember when Kath read the explanation that I came up with after lots and lots and lots of brainstorming for why Christine would have kept what happened to her years and years ago a secret. She said that she was just floored. She didn't expect what I came up with and she was really excited about it. And that kind of response is just exactly what I want as a writer. So a lot of knowing when it's finished is when my reader stops asking those deep questions. There might be some questions that linger. Kath really wanted me in my second book to stay longer on the ex-girlfriend coming back into Danny's life. And I might have been tired. It might have been finals week for me at the college where I teach. I can't remember why I stopped delving into that, but I chose not to go into that. Something that I regret now, but I chose to leave that question kind of alone at that point. So once those questions feel resolved for me, that's when it feels finished. But the other really great piece of advice that Kath gave me was not to overwork the draft. And that's something that she said the first time that we worked together. Make it clean, make the text as pretty as you can, but don't overwork it. And so that's something that I felt like I wanted to share with people. The other thing, going into revision, I didn't ever say that revision is seeing something again. And it might be seeing something re to do again and vision, seeing something again and maybe seeing it through somebody else's eyes. And that's why I get so excited about revision. And I think that it is... Uh, something that I have motto that I have carried through in the idea of being adventurous in revisions is what would happen if a rabid bear was in your book it sounded so crazy when my friend suggested it but to play with it 
made a really interesting change to the whole text of my first book. So what what about a rabid bear? What would happen if you put one in your book? All right. Where can we find you online and where can we buy your books and where can people get hold of you? Because I know that there's going to be some authors out there saying, hey, you know what? I agree. And let me talk to her further about beta reading. Okay. I love to hear from people on Gmail. My Gmail is lanavilnev at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook at least once a day. I try to not hang out there too much, but uh, Lena Villeneuve on Facebook and my books are at Bella Books, all three of them. And the fourth one, I don't think has a picture up yet, but it says it's available for, or it's coming soon or something like that on bellabooks.com. So that's where you can find me too. You're not on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. I barely knew how to do this. My wife is so (laughs) proud of me for figuring out how to Skype with you. She is amazed. And I still have a flip phone, so I don't even know (laughs) I could use. My students laugh at me with my flip phone. So there are so many distractions in my life right now. And I want to not get totally absorbed in another, uh, another outlet of social media. Okay, fair enough. Leonard, it was lovely talking to you today. Thank you very much. It was lovely talking to you too. And I have no doubt that your tips are going to inspire authors to start thinking about their writing differently. I hope so. And anybody who wants to talk about writing, I love to talk about writing. I love to talk about commas too, which we didn't even get to talk about, but uh, work on the story before you work on the sentences, right? Absolutely. Thanks so much for this opportunity. Thank you for listening to The Right Stuff. I'm Sheena, and today we were chatting to Lena. You can catch her contact details in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to the show.